What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Crazy Face Uno podcast, where everyone has a story and everyone's story matters. What's your story? We are going into part two of Janie Lund's story. Uh, she's been working in the Peace Corps, and we're going to hear more about her story and uh, specifically about COVID-19. If you're just now tuning in to this episode and you haven't listened to part one of Jamie, Janie Lund, please go back, listen to the first part, and then join us on the second part now. Welcome, Janie. I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, we got to talking in the first part. We're killing it, and we've both got the time, and so we're going to keep going and talk a little bit more about your experience throughout um, COVID-19 and what that looked like for you at the Peace Corps. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks again for having me. Happy absolutely. to do part two. Yeah. Um, Awkward, but right? I was... It's like weird to kind of jump back into it when we've been okay. continuing to well, yeah, just a little brief recap from the end of part one. Um, I had told Shane that I was meeting up with some friends the weekend before St. Patrick's Day to celebrate, and we were all at this restaurant, and we it was Saturday, the 14th, I believe, mm. um, and we all received an email from Peace Corps telling us that we would have the option to take interrupted service, which is essentially ending your service due to something that's out of your control. So usually it will be like if there's a safety and security issue and you have to leave your site, um, it's a way it's a way that your service ends without you saying, you know, I, I just chose to leave because I wanted to leave. It's, it's something that you couldn't control. And so we would all have the option to take interrupted service um, and still get certain benefits and certain status upon returning. Right. And uh, that raised a lot of questions for a lot of us. And, you know, we didn't know what the likelihood of getting evacuated would be, uh, mandatory evacuation, and countries, Peace Corps countries around the world were just rapidly increasing with, with evacuations. And so we just didn't know what was happening. And we, at this point, still had zero cases, or at least zero confirmed cases in Uganda. And so, as I said, this was on a Saturday. So we all, you know, spent all Saturday talking about it. And we all <laughs> spent Sunday, like on our own, trying to just kind of think about what we wanted to do. Uh. And um, yeah, so we had all day Sunday. And then they told us that that week, they would be reaching out to us individually to see what you wanted to do and Monday morning I woke up at maybe eight o'clock and my phone had just completely blown up uh we had gotten an email that we were all Peace Corps posts around the world were being evacuated um so before we even really got to make a decision was it the Peace Corps calling you or was this like family and friends and people you knew no that so it was the email from Peace Corps and then it was like group chats within Mm. with other volunteers um just blowing up with, you know, holy crap, this is happening. (laughs) Like where we got to go. And, um, so yeah, that was on Monday morning and everything happened very fast. Um, we had to get down to, so I lived in Lira, which is in the North of Uganda and it's on a good day with little traffic. It's about a six hour bus ride to Kampala. 
Um, but you know, depending on all kinds of factors can be anywhere up to like nine hours. Um, and so a few of my, one of my, uh, fellow volunteers, she, she and I both had dogs and, uh, they're, they were actually twins. Oh, yeah. And so we had always planned on bringing them home with us after Uh service. Um, but with everything happening so fast, we knew that Peace Corps was not going to, accommodate our pets which that's understandable i don't fault them for that um but we knew that it was going to be up to us to to figure it out even with all of the chaos so we called um our safety and security manager and asked him you know we said we have to get there's a vet in kampala that will send the dogs home and we'll do all the tests that they need to have done in order to to go to the states and we'll um take them to the airport and get them on the plane and all of that. So we needed to get the dogs to the vet. And so we called him and asked, you know, if we should wait until the following day or if we should just go. Mm -hmm. And this was already midday on Monday. Um, And he said that we, you know, if we left any later, we weren't guaranteed anything. So we had to just go. So we didn't get to say goodbye to anybody. Um, We just, and that was the case even for, a lot of volunteers, you know, who didn't have dogs and weren't rushing yeah. to the Capitol for that reason. It was just everything happened so fast because we had to, you know, you had to pack up everything you wanted to bring with you. Right. Um, and so it was it was a very, very chaotic process. Um, yeah. If we, yeah within, if we, so from that morning, bring me bring yeah. me up to speed, just kind of timeline wise. Sure. So you wake up, you've got multiple phone calls, you check in your email, you're w- looking at these, you know messages or whatever's on Mm -hmm. your phone what what was the next thing from there was it like calling the peace corps basically or calling your leaders so from there um i mean they had made it pretty clear in the email you know what that we were being evacuated um that and we did they provide those tickets for you or was that something you had to book like how did that go our tickets home yeah no, so they would book all of that for us. So we, by, I, I can't remember if it was by Tuesday or Wednesday, but everyone um, had to be in Entebbe. So Entebbe is about an hour, I believe, south of Kampala, and that's where the yeah. airport is. Um, so they put us in a hotel there, and we had, everyone who was being evacuated was closing their service. So Normally, at the end of your service, you go through a conference that's your COS, Close of Service Conference, um, and then you do your actual COS ceremony when you actually leave and you hit a gong and take your oath again and gong out, as they call it. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, we were supposed to have a COS conference, as everyone else does, and that happens a few months before you actually COS, and it's supposed to help you with kind of readjusting and reintegrating what to expect when you go back to America um, and what you'll have to do on Peace Corps end, like on the medical end and finances and all that kind of stuff. And so we basically just had a very chaotic and very rushed COS conference uh, because all of us were going to be officially COSing and getting the returned Peace Corps volunteer status. Um, So, when we first arrived at the hotel, they had a sheet with uh, one to three, depending on the options, uh, flight options for each person. And you had to pick which one you, you wanted 
to do. And then that was the plan on Wednesday. And then, or it might have been Tuesday. I think it was Wednesday. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it, doesn't, everybody doesn't really listening, matter. we all understand. The days start to blend together. We get yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, no, it was Tuesday because then on Wednesday uh, was when my flight was supposed to leave, Wednesday night. And so they just looked at, you know, what flight options were still available. You picked yeah. one and that was what you were going on. By Thursday morning, uh, they took us in trips to the local bank to close our bank accounts because mm. we all had local bank accounts. And while I was in the first group of people to go to the bank and while we were there, we started getting texts that flights were being canceled and people were getting put on flights that were leaving in like an hour. And so everybody just had to get back to the hotel and you had to just pack your stuff and be ready to go. Wow. And yeah, and, and so because I think at that point was when uh, all flights through Europe got canceled and a lot of the flight options that they had given us connected in different places in Europe. And so all of those were no longer viable options. And so they started just booking any any of us on any flight that they could find that would get us to our home of record. Mm. Um, and so... Yeah, the next few days were just complete chaos of, you know, very rapid goodbyes and people getting calls saying they had to get to the airport within the hour. And it, it was it was a lot. And I, I mean, the the staff, you know, did their absolute best. Like it was yeah, not in any way, shape or form their fault that it was just so chaotic. And right. um, so for myself and I think 35 other volunteers in Uganda. Wow. Um, 35. We we didn't get flights <laughs> so um, surprise yeah so you know i i was supposed to be back home by friday night with my original flight and friday came and i still didn't have a flight wow. and so they for the remainder of us that were still there they told us uh they were chartering a plane that was going to pick up volunteers in a few other countries including uganda yeah and just be a direct flight to DC from there. Mm -hmm. uh, so within that time frame, we had six flight changes and cancellations. Wow. Um, Where, yeah, so, before you even got, I don't think you're, you're even on a plane yet, but like throughout this time period, are you just like sitting at a hotel in the meantime? Yeah, we were, we were literally just sitting at a hotel. We actually, funny story uh we actually got there's a tattoo artist in kampala who's really really talented and uh, nice. like anybody who's gotten a tattoo there that's where you go yeah um and they'll sometimes travel to other places so someone in our group got uh got the tattoo artist to come <laughs> to entebbe nice. and set up shop in their hotel room so they had like a full tattoo shop set up in their hotel room <laughs> that's fun. and they were there for like over 12 hours that day and people just popping in, getting tattoos left and right. Um, did you get and one? It was actually, I did, I did get one. Um, nice. one of the girls in my cohort designed a tattoo for herself. That was kind of a, uh, a loose drawing of a crested crane, which is the yeah. Ugandan national bird. And the part that makes up the crest at the top is, uh, represents the equator. It's kind of like a semicircle with a line mm -hmm. on the bottom. And then there's water underneath to represent the Nile. Uh, oh, and that's so cool. She sent it to us, and everyone was like, "I 
love that idea. I just like, I love it. I love the way it looks. I love the idea behind it. And a whole bunch of us ended up getting it. That's um, awesome. Fun fact. So, yeah. I have a crested crane on my left, like no inside way. of my arm. Yeah. My team. Yes. I love that. Yeah. My team, uh, you know, Andrea Ramsey. Yes. Now oh, not Ramsey. Queen. I love her. I know. Me too. She was, she was my, uh, team lead on my second oh. tour. Yeah, yes, she's like she was the greatest. My favorite person and Yes. Um so her, I don't know if you know Alex Alberico. Um I don't think so. And then he was on one of the street teams. So okay. if you're familiar with that. Um and then our Ugandan teammate Fiona. Uh oh. we all got tattoos in Ohio. Yes. <laughs> and I love that. Yeah, so they got uh We Lobo. Or not Wee Lobo. They got um their they got their Acholi names, which mine is oh, Wee Lobo, okay. which is uh, oh. the world, I believe. Oh, I love that. And then um we also one of our phrases was Nate Hinn, uh, who passed away yeah. in the mm-hmm. uh, terrorist attack at the World Cup in Kampala. Um yeah. he so he had a saying or like in his film, the film that we, that we toured with, it was, what is my life? And we would say this all the time because we had so much fun on tour and we loved spending time with each other and just loved what we were doing. And so we'd say, what is my life? Like, what is my life? Like, are you kidding me? Like we get to do this. I say that all the time. (laughs) I know. And so my teammates, the two, uh, Andrea and Alex, they both got their Acholi names on one wrist. And then, uh, what is my life? In, oh, I love that. Yeah, um, on the other. And I just didn't want anything on my wrists. And so <laughs> I went with the – mine is the picture, like, literally in the middle of the Ugandan flag. That's mm-hmm. my crested crane. Very cool. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah, we had uh, – Story time. We had – Tattoos. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we had one guy uh, in my cohort was getting, like, an actual – like a head of a crested crane, like nice. a big tattoo. Yeah. And he got called to the airport halfway through his tattoo. So oh, he has a no. half, a half crested crane tattoo. Currently. That's, that's um, awesome. Yeah. But yeah. So besides getting tattoos, yeah, we were pretty much just, uh, you know, hanging out at the hotel, trying to get updates however we could, but right. we had to, we had to just keep our bags packed and ready to go. Cause you, we just never knew when you're, phone was going to ring and it was so funny because we'd all be sitting around at lunch or something and somebody's phone would ring and everybody would just stop <laughs> yeah <laughs> everyone was like yeah. whose phone is it who is it who's got <laughs> yeah. a flight and uh, yeah so it was it was crazy uh, overall I did almost get how attacked was... by monkeys <laughs> <laughs> that's I, you're gonna have to explain that one and then i want to hear like kind of how morale was as well like amongst yes. you guys throughout this process but tell us about the monkeys first <laughs> well, the monkey sightings helped morale, at least for me. I was really excited. Yeah. Um, I was actually on FaceTime with my mom, and the hotel was, was beautiful. It was on Lake Victoria, so nice. we had a, a beautiful view. And I was down by the water on FaceTime with my mom, and I just was like, oh, my God, there's a monkey. And she, <laughs> you know, I was just so excited. And I started to walk back inside, still on FaceTime with her, and there were, like, at least 20 monkeys just Whoa. running around the hotel lawn. And... So I, at one point, um, uh, there were two on the ground and one was grooming the other. And so I went to take a video and one of my friends is nearby 
telling me that she doesn't want to get close to them. She's scared of them. And yeah. I'm sitting there taking a video and I'm like, it's fine. And she goes, there's one behind you. And I was like, that's fine. It's okay. And I'm so glad I got this on video. The monkeys realize that are grooming each other, realize that I'm there. And I didn't realize the one getting groomed had a baby underneath it. And so they turn around and see that I'm there. And I'm only two feet from them. And they just charge at me. And I just scream in the video. (laughs) So fortunately, they didn't get me. But uh, And it's nice that they didn't see the baby. So, you know, I I, I earned that. But yeah, yeah. but as far as morale, um, it was really hard. Because, you know, we were already... I think everyone processes very differently. Uh, so it really depended on the person. But at the end of the day, we all had just suffered this huge loss right. of of community and of identity and so much of just so much uncertainty and so much chaos. You know, once we everything, as I said, happened so fast, having to pack up your whole house and just get to get to Entebbe right. um, that I think once we got to the hotel, there was initially some kind of camaraderie and joy because we were all together and like, right. you know, our friends who live in different regions, we were all together and able to hang out. And, yeah. and it was, it was kind of nice that first night um, just being all together. But then is, you know, the next day was when all of our flights started getting canceled and things got chaotic, even more chaotic and morale just very, very quickly dropped plummeted actually um you know it was just everyone then we kind of all went into panic mode of i just need to get home um Mm. because you know at that point at least in my mind the way that i process these things is when i'm in a situation like that my mind just goes to i shut off all emotion which i don't know how because i'm a relatively emotional (laughs) person but when i'm in these situations you know i it my brain doesn't let me feel much and so i'm just like okay what do i need to do to get to whatever the next thing is or the next point is that i have to get to and so you know being being that on edge for several days of of complete uncertainty was really stressful and very quickly just was like you know all i need to do is get home but how do i even do that i'm not in control of my flights i'm not able to even be helping with this you know it's just i'm either told to go or i'm not and so especially when we got down to the last 35 of us who didn't have a flight um well and on top of that we had to keep saying goodbye to our family you know like these these friends had become our family and there's it's hard because in the time that you're there as much as people at home want to support you and want to understand they just can't and and it's not anything and it's not anything against them you know they could they could desperately want to understand and desperately want to support you but there's only so much that they can do when you know that they don't Mm. understand what you're talking about or what you're feeling and so you really come to rely on those people and those friends that you have made um especially you know your fellow volunteers who just understand all of the things that you can't explain that you're going through. Mm. They can understand it without the words. And, and so they really just become your family. And, you know, we were all just in groups of like 20, we were all just getting ripped apart from each other. And so it was, it was very emotional. It was very intense. And then there got down to the 35 of us that didn't have a flight. And so, 
we were told finally that Ethiopian Airlines would be picking us up um, and then picking up volunteers in Rwanda and Malawi. And then we would be going to Ethiopia. And they didn't know how long we'd be in Ethiopia. They said we might have to stay in a hotel for a night. We might get directly onto another flight. We don't know yet. Um, How, How many days has it been up until this point? So we we left for Ethiopia on Friday. Okay, and you started. So you got that, and we you got, got that the initial ev- Tuesday, right? Is that what you said? We got the initial email for evacuation on Monday. Monday, okay. Yeah, so it it had only it had been five days, um, but it was it was definitely the most intense five days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we we got to Rwanda. For some reason, we sat at the terminal in Rwanda for about three hours um still don't know why um and then we and it was the middle of the night at this point uh, and then we go to malawi to pick up volunteers and then back up to ethiopia we got to ethiopia around five o'clock in the morning and they brought us to a hotel because our our flight our next flight was supposed to leave that evening okay um so this was saturday morning at this point so saturday evening it was supposed to leave and um yeah, they just, even though it was a chartered flight, it kept getting canceled and kept getting rescheduled and all kinds of things kept happening. And so there were, this poor hotel just had volunteers from Uganda and Rwanda and Malawi and Cameroon <laughs> volunteers had been yeah. there for a day or two already. And, you know, they just had to deal with all of these Peace Corps people <laughs> who were just freaking out. And um, so I feel so bad for them. But uh, yeah, so our flights just kept getting canceled. And finally, I think it was, I think it was actually the first night when we were supposed to leave that night, we were told to bring all our stuff downstairs, have dinner at the hotel and then grab your stuff and go to the airport. And so the entire lobby is just covered in all of our luggage and we eat dinner and come out. And the Ugandan staff member that was with us tells us to bring our bags back upstairs. We have to recheck into the hotel because we had already checked out and everything. Uh. So we had to recheck into the hotel and that we weren't leaving. So for some reason, the other country volunteers were leaving, but we were not because we were on a second plane. And I don't know exactly what happened, but there was some like possible exposure to Corona. And uh, so we weren't able to take that plane. So we had to recheck in, stay in Ethiopia (laughs) for the night. um, And then, all the way into the next day. And we, we ended up leaving at around 8 PM the following night. Um, so we were stuck in Ethiopia for about a day and a half. Wow. Um, yeah. And I mean, Ethiopia was, it was really nice and we were in a, you know, we were in a nice place and we, we had each other and all of that, but it was just, it was more of a fear that every hour it seemed flights were getting canceled and borders were closing and airlines were shutting down. And we were just like, you know, everyone just yeah. kept joking with us. We're like, well, I guess we're Ethiopia volunteers now. Right, <laughs> like, right. I guess we just live here now, you know. <laughs> how um, much How much at this point in time, like, how much did you know about, you know, the coronavirus and really what's going on around the world and, and back in the States? Um, like, were you informed about that? Were you guys able to do, you know, your research or be online and seeing all the tweets and all the, you know, news articles and everything or what, what I, I just feel like even now in the States, and I'm sure you feel this here, there's a lot of fear right now. Oh, absolutely. And throughout that process of you guys trying to come home, 
was there fear amongst you guys? Was there fear in these different countries and, and in these different, you know, airports, these different, you know, processes? Yeah. What was that like? Yeah, it was, it was definitely high alert. Everyone was on high alert. Um, I can only speak for myself, but I think it, it seemed to be a relatively common feeling amongst at least the volunteers was we just, we were just so I think full exhausted. of delirium, <laughs> yeah. yeah, delirium and adrenaline and exhaustion all at the same time that we were just like, kind of just like zombies, just like get yeah, me to where I'm going, you I'm know, sure. like we just, we just didn't really care at that point, <laughs> like yeah. just get me like, you know, at that point I've accepted that I'm going home and I've accepted where I'm going just, but I need to get there. Um, and it, it was even before leaving Uganda for several weeks, you know, I would, I would be in a taxi or something and I would sneeze or cough and I would hear someone around me say Corona. And, uh, uh, and what, something I thought was really interesting is, and this, I don't think this is exclusive to Uganda, but, um, a lot of people were convinced that it's a white person's disease. Um, mm, and I remember reading an article. Yeah. I remember reading an article before we got evacuated that, uh, a case had popped up. I believe it was in Kenya and, the article just talked about how shocked everyone was that the the person who had it was black and was a, yeah. a local Kenyan man uh, because they, they thought it was a white people disease. And so, you know, people, especially in Uganda, they're so welcoming and they're so kind and all of that. But I do think, I mean, safety wise, we probably got out at a really good time because hmm. now, so cases did start popping up in Uganda two days after we left. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that if we were still there, we would very likely, at least by some people, be getting blamed for this and potentially punished for it. Mm. Um, and that's an interesting uh, thought that I my head didn't go. Yeah, I mean, one of my friends and she, we have no idea if this is related to Corona or not, but this was around the same time that we were all starting to get like people would call us Corona and, <laughs> you know, people would, if they heard me sneeze or cough, like I said, they would say Corona. Wow. And so this was around the same time that all of that was starting to happen. She, some kids threw a rock at her head. Oh, like, wow. I mean, and she, she was fine, but you know, that's yeah. never happened to her before. And it was right when all of this stuff was starting to happen. And so we're, you know, it, we don't know if it was related or not, yeah. but it kind of seems like it was with the yeah. context of everything. And so, which is um, so, which is so interesting because, you know, we hear the stories and, you know, there's been a lot of, um, Asian, you know, ethnic backgrounds and yeah. at least in the States that have had, you know, kind of some of the similar, yeah. uh, things happen to them in, in yeah, the absolutely. States, you know, and, Absolutely. It's this idea that it's this Chinese virus, which it did originate there, but it's affecting everyone. So let's right. cut the and shit, I mean, you know? <laughs> even, even if it, you know, even if it is the, the Chinese fault or whatever, you know, yeah. it's what is terrorizing one person of that race going to do for you or the virus or for them? 100%. But they, this person did not single-handedly create this virus and yeah. give it to the world you right. know like it's not their fault. they just happen to be from the same place that those things happen i right. happen to be from the same place as donald trump but i don't claim responsibility for his fault exactly exactly <laughs> yeah know? no i completely and understand so it. and that's that should be like just... it really should be the global response is that it doesn't yeah. matter like we we're in this together you know and it exactly. seems to be the thing that is 
starting to gain traction, but you can't, you can't, I don't know. You can't yeah. uh, stop everyone from having their own ideas and their own thoughts, yeah. but, which is unfortunate. And I mean, and so as far as, as my knowledge of Corona during all of this evacuation, it was pretty minimal. I mean, I, I knew that the, it had flu-like symptoms and I knew that it was causing fatalities, particularly in seniors and that kind of stuff. But um, I wasn't really concerned about it for myself because my thought process was, A, I'm coming from a place where there's no cases. So even if, you know, I get home and I get it, I'll, I'll be, I'll be fortunate enough to be in a place where I can access care. Yeah. Um, number one. And number two, in my mind, for people of my age, it was still just like a flu. It right. wasn't yeah. anything worse than that. And, you know, now I have a better understanding of it and I, hear about all of the like younger people that are dying from it now too. And Mm -hmm. so it is scary, but it's still easy to be like out of sight, out of mind. Um, And I actually just had a friend of mine, her, her from Peace Corps, actually her father has Corona Mm. um, and is like in the ICU and is not doing well. And so that was really the first time even since being back here and seeing all the chaos that it like hit home because I don't know him, but I know her and, and, you know, she's going through all this. And I mean, the airports and stuff during evacuation were definitely a different experience. I've been traveling my whole life and I've never seen it like this. It was, you know, everyone was wearing the masks and the gloves and standing as far apart as they could. And it was just, it, it was, it was strange, but I didn't, I think I was just so, hopped up on adrenaline and yeah. exhaustion and delirium that I wasn't really processing everything. Did you um, guys have access to, yeah. you know, the face masks and the gloves and, and stuff like that? Or was that something you guys kind of didn't, so you kind of came in yeah, blind with? No, when we were at, um, when we were doing our very, very expedited COS conference in Entebbe, uh, one of the things we had to do before leaving was meet with the Peace Corps medical officer mm. uh, and just go over, you know, what our current health status was yeah. and uh, get the paperwork that we would need for, because normally you would have to get the physical and stuff before you're sent home. Yeah. Um, but obviously we weren't, <laughs> we right. weren't in a position to do that. So they had to get us all the forms in order to get all that stuff done once we got home. And one of the things they gave us uh, any of the medicine, like our prescriptions, that we had that were supposed to be coming in in the following weeks. Mm -hmm. And they gave us uh, hand sanitizer and a couple of masks per person. Nice. uh, I have have another question for you. Sure. Along the same vein, I guess. Did you, does the Peace Corps, even like when you're heading into, um, you know, we we talked about in part one a little bit about, you know, malaria and whatnot. Did you, Mm -hmm. did you take malaria medication was that prescribed to you was that something that you guys used yeah so you are required um and i i don't think this is all peace corps post just where malaria is an issue but uh you're required to take a prophylaxis okay and they have at least for uganda they gave us three options when we first arrived yeah um and one of them is a once a week prophylaxis that you take yeah uh but apparently it can cause it can have effects on your mental health and so if yeah. you have any kind of mental health issue i'm trying to think of the name of that one. one yeah it's I'm trying mefl- to... mefloquine mefloquine okay yeah um 
And so off the bat with my anxiety, they, I was told I can't take that one. Yeah. Um, another one is Malarone and that's what I took. That's a daily one. And I took that the summer before when I had come with faraway friends, Yeah. but it I think was, I took that one as well. Yeah. That one's the most common, uh, that I've encountered. But for me, when I had been on it before it, it really messed with my mental health, mm. um, which can, it's, it can be a side effect with that, but it's yeah. not as common as with mefloquine. I had the um, dreams. I definitely had yeah, the weird dreams. Yeah, that was what it was. I, yeah. I had dreams that just sent me into an almost depressive state. Like I would just wake up and not be able to get out of it. They were like and, um, really intense dreams. Yeah. I yeah. They were really intense and they like honed in on things that I was, that were making me sad or yeah. upset or whatever. And, you know, like things I didn't normally think about, but yeah. like it was forcing them onto my mind and like, I couldn't, I couldn't escape it. And so yeah. well, I plus like waking up had... when you're, I don't, I'm assuming Uganda was pretty warm when you were there, but like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a transition of, you know, we talked about, I had, I had been to Haiti. And so when I was in Haiti, I had taken some of these same things, but you wake yeah. up and you're like a sweaty mess, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. because it's hot. It was and not fun. <laughs> so you're like, yeah, have these like fun. really shitty dreams. And then you yeah. wake up and like a sweat and like gross and yeah, then you're like, no, yeah. So you didn't sleep well that night, you yeah. know, clearly. And then you like yeah. try to like get back into the groove of things. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I told you. them off of that. I was like, I've taken Malarone and it does not work with me. Yeah. So give me the third option. Uh, but yeah, so the, the one I ended up on was a, a daily prophylaxis. And um, was it yeah, the chloroquine or no? It was uh, doxy, doc, doxycycline. Okay. I think is what it's called. Yeah. But okay. I just call it doxy. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. But yeah. And We're no medical so, professionals here, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if you if you test positive for malaria, though, they will test your blood to make sure that to see if you've been taking the prophylaxis. Mm. And if you're found to not not be taking it, um, I believe you would get sent home. Oh, wow. Man, I yeah. didn't realize such they had such strict rules. with these Yeah. Guys. I mean, and they showed sense. us this it's whole like, like grueling video, gruesome video about like people who got malaria and now have this deformity or this physical, some sort of something wrong with them now yeah. that's permanent. And <laughs> then, of course, it talked about a, a Peace Corps volunteer who died from malaria. And like, it's just this whole video that's meant to just drill into you. Take yeah. your prophylaxis, so just, you know. Bottom line, take it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they did not mess around with that stuff. And we slept with mosquito nets. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So nothing worse than a mosquito uh, buzzing in your ear at night either. Oh, those were the worst. Oh, it was, it is the worst. I had one night when I was in Haiti that, uh, I didn't sleep with a net and they would get, they just find your ear and they like buzz your ear. It's awful. And they're biting you the whole time too. So that was, that was miserable. I, I did use it. That was the only time I think I didn't have, yeah, uh, a mosquito net, but I wore one. I had one the next day. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you learn you learn quick in those yeah. kind of situations. Yep. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, I just was curious about that. Just with the, there's a lot of talk about what is it, the chloroquine or whatever it is. Um, yeah. So actually, um, when when we come back from service, uh, we're supposed to take a. I, I don't, it might be the chloroquine. I'm not sure exactly what it is yeah. off the top of my head, but we're supposed to take some sort of post-exposure malaria medication just okay. in case. Yeah. Um, and we're also supposed to take a, a, some sort of prescription for schisto, which, uh, hmm. I'm not familiar is, with that one. 
it's I I am not going to pretend that I know a lot about it. All I know <laughs> is it's not it's not fun to have. Yeah. Um, and it's doesn't I believe sound a parasite. <laughs> yeah, I believe it's a parasite, okay. and you get it from being in water, okay. in contaminated water. So. Um, Everyone, though, all of the Uganda volunteers are supposed to take it um, after their service just because sometimes it can be dormant, I guess, or, you know, asymptomatic. So they want you to take it to just kind of flesh out your system no matter what. Um, And what I've been, I admittedly have not called my doctor yet, but I'm being told from my fellow volunteers that a majority of people are not even able to get them because Mm, when they call for the prescription, they're being told that the ingredients in those drugs is being used to try to treat Corona. Right. Um, so they're, you know, they're being very understandably stingy with it. You know, we are just, I guess so. Our taking, our taking <laughs> it is just a precaution, sure. um, you know, whereas like if it could actually treat this insanely fast spreading disease, right. you know, by all means, I'm, I'm fine. Cause we also still have to take our prophylaxis for sure. one to four weeks, depending which medication you're on. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm I'm fairly certain I've been home two weeks now. I'm fairly certain if I had malaria, I would have had symptoms by now. Yeah. And schisto, I was never really in the water, so I'm yeah. not really concerned about it. But that's good. Yeah, that's it's good. been it's been a it's been a really interesting time to try to come back and get medical things done. <laughs> yeah, and what was what was that experience of coming back? I mean, I know I've heard you know we've all heard probably the stories of people flying in and really long lines, everybody have to be tested or have their temperature taken before they enter and, you know, mm-hmm. all these different things. What was, what was that like for you? Um, it actually wasn't too bad by the time that I got, I think because, I mean, I was quite literally on one of the last airlines that was right. even functioning still. Um, you know, most of the airports, I was in the Ethiopian airport and then the Dulles airport in DC. And then my okay. flight was supposed to leave from Dulles a few hours later, but got canceled. So they sent me to Reagan airport <laughs> for a different flight. Perfect. Um, but Why all, not, of the, right? all of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but pretty much all of the airports that I was in were pretty empty. Um, yeah. And you know, there weren't really long lines except when all of the volunteers, like when we were leaving Ethiopia, um, you know, there were, I think 300 of us by, okay. by the end of it from different countries. Um, and then there was state department staff and things like that. So, you know, when we were all coming in for the same chartered flight, we of course had to be in line just with each other, but generally speaking there, it was, it was very empty. Um, yeah. it was kind of eerie, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, it was not as grueling as I thought it would be like coming through customs and, yeah. you know, all of that. It was, a, it was a fairly, once we got on the plane, it was a fairly pain-free process. It was getting okay. to the planes, <laughs> yeah, or getting to that first plane that was the stressful part. <laughs> and I know we talked about it off off air, but um, you are currently living in New Orleans, right, or Louisiana yes. at least, New Orleans. Yeah, New Orleans. Okay. So did you you flew into uh, DC and then you took another flight there? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Nice. Then. Um, were you given kind of protocol? I mean, I know that you've been in quarantine, um, but like what, what exactly, what did that verbiage look like? What were you told? Did you have much information? Um, not really. Uh, I mean, and you know, to their defense, they 
we're trying to juggle 7,000 plus oh, volunteers all absolutely. at once. Yeah, I, can, um, I can't imagine. Like, Yeah. So, you know, it was it was hard to, first off, they had to make sure that they had correct information to give us um, and then had yeah. to get it out to all of us and make sure that it, it, there was a lot of things happening. But we were pretty much um, told to self-quarantine for 14 days. Um, a lot of a lot of countries that got evacuated didn't have cases yet, like Uganda. Yeah. So it was, you know, it, it wasn't like go into a literal bubble for 14 days. Right. It was just, you know, just be, be smart, be cautious. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of, kind of a, similar to the message that people in America have been being told, like just, you know, social distancing and wash your hands and yeah, just try not to come in contact with too many people. Um, but and it, that may be very different for volunteers coming from places that already had cases. They may have had sure. a more extensive process. Um, but yeah, for us, it was really just self quarantine for fourteen days. And if you if you had to find lodging for that fourteen days, if you couldn't self quarantine at home because you live with someone who's over sixty five, or you live with someone who has some sort of disease that will make them susceptible to getting sick yeah um then they would reimburse you for lodging for the 14 days wow um, if you had to do that i'm sure that there was a cap on that um i was fortunate enough to have a place to stay but yeah yeah so they so they did they did offer that which was really nice yeah um, that's great i mean it's such a it sounds like the the peace corps and, and their leadership i mean i can only imagine the sleepless nights that they had throughout this process, you know, yeah, and are probably, I do not envy them. <laughs> and are probably still having, um, yeah, yeah I, sure. I, I've been on the other side of mass logistics and I can't imagine what that yeah. was like for them. Um, but it sounds like they did their best to take care of you guys and, and yeah, they did have done a great job. It sounds like of, of kind of covering their bases and knowing what your needs would be and knowing what right. that was like, but whoa, crazy. <laughs> You yes. and and you've been other than your allergies, you're uh, <laughs> health free, right? I mean, you're you're feeling yeah. good, doing well. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, as far as I know, I don't have Corona. I don't have any symptoms of it. So knock on wood. Fingers crossed. I hope yeah. I'm I hope I'm clean on that front. Um, but yeah, everything's been pretty much good. Um, I mean, even in Uganda, I I didn't have nearly as many particularly stomach issues as a lot of people do. Um, I, I did get three bacterial infections in the first five months, but, um, (laughs) comes with the territory. Yeah. Right. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I never had any, any major health issues while I was there or since being back, you know, everything's, everything's just been pretty stable mental yeah. health is, is a different story but <laughs> right yeah it's great especially like being you know you talked about anxiety and, and something that you've dealt with in the past and man I I'm I'm good now but when this everything kind of started to ramp up there in a bit I I like kind of went into information overload where I was just taking yeah. in too much information I wanted to know everything and anything I could get my hands on and um but it's there's a there's a limit to, and then it becomes unhealthy and then you start to like yeah. just be paranoid and freak out absolutely and, um yeah i mean <laughs> what a crazy time to be alive right i mean yeah. <laughs> do you know of any i mean obviously you don't have a personal relationship with all 7000 but are there are there any cases 
that you're aware of in the Peace Corps of uh, Coronas, coronavirus? Uh, I actually don't know of any. I, I think there may have been one from one of the countries that we were picking up yeah. um, on our flight that ended up delaying or canceling the flight we were supposed to take, but um, I, I don't know if that was just like a potential exposure or if somebody was showing symptoms. Um, yeah, I'm Honestly, as far as I'm aware, I'm sure that there is a case, but I don't know any. Yeah, know of it, any. statistically, there's bound to be yeah. at least one. But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, interesting. Now, I mean, the real question, and and you've talked about this throughout this whole period. You know, in the first part one, we talked a lot about your time in Uganda and that experience of kind of joining the Peace Corps. Um, you know, getting kind of finding your location, finding your place, finding your, your, um, I don't know, getting in that rhythm, I guess, if you will, in Uganda. But there's the piece that you guys just kind of up and left and you didn't get to say goodbye to those people. Were you able to later, have you been able to kind of reconnect and, and talk with some of those people? How are people doing back in Uganda? If so, um, what's that been like for you? Um, yeah, it's, it was really hard not saying goodbye to anybody. Um, my, my landlady wasn't home, so I wasn't able to say goodbye to her. My neighbors weren't home. Um, and my, my counterpart, my, basically your, your partner at your organization, um, he was out of town Mm. and he was definitely who I was closest to from my organization and, um, I adore him and I'm so sad I didn't get to say goodbye, but, oh, no. uh, he also was, he was also deep in a village and didn't have service. So I wasn't even able to reach him wow. like on the phone and tell him what was happening. Um, and so I tried to call my supervisor and let him know, but he didn't answer the phone. And so he ended up, uh, texting me when I was in the car going down to Kampala. So Mm -hmm. like I had already left. And so he texted me and said like, Hey, sorry, I missed your call. What's up? Or, you know, whatever. So I told him what was happening and he was like, wait, really? Are you serious? What's happening? (laughs) And he called me and I had to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm literally on my way to, to Kampala right now. Um, you know, and, and, uh, it, it was, it was just so, so abrupt and, um, it was rough, but, uh, yeah, since being back here, um, you know, I've coworkers have reached out to me. I've reached yeah. out to coworkers. Um, it's also hard because I can only communicate from here using WhatsApp. Right. Um, and in order to use WhatsApp, you have to have data and the social media tax paid. <laughs> right. Um, which isn't isn't expensive by our standards. It's like two dollars, two U.S. dollars a month. Yeah. Um, but you know, many people can't afford that, and so. Right. And that's just for the social media tax data is, is more expensive. But, um, yeah, a lot of people, you know, they just use the local network and just call each other on the same network so they aren't being charged. And sure. so, uh, you know, a lot of people that I knew and, and had gotten close to didn't even have WhatsApp. So I don't even have a number or a uh. way to reach them. Um, so, you know, it's it's breaking my heart just thinking about, like, the people that I'm probably not going to see again because yeah. I have no idea how to even contact them and, and no way to even tell them what happened, like why I left. Right. Um, but 
I have been able to talk to, you know, my coworkers and supervisors since I got back. And uh, do you know Lillian Ajok? Yes. Yeah, she, uh, so she was actually the first person I met from Uganda. I met her nine years ago um, at an Invisible Children's screening. Nice. And uh, absolutely adored her. We talked forever. And I met up with her last or, uh, summer that I went with Faraway Friends. Um, she came and met us one night because she knew I was there and we, you know, talked all night and had a great time uh-huh. and have stayed in touch since then. And, um, so I, I was really sad. She lives in Kampala now. So I okay. was living in her old neighborhood, but not neighborhood, but you know, her old region. Yeah. Uh, but I, I didn't get to see her while oh, I was man. serving, which made me so sad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I've been in touch with her mostly. Okay. Um, and I'm trying to help her out because the, the issue now that Corona is there, I mean, first off, it's it's. I'm sure that it's going to spread like wildfire right. once it gets out of the main cities. Because um, culturally, it's just a close knit group of people, and yeah, it's close knit. There's such a high population. There's no real way for everyone to avoid each other. Right. And there's already, you know, such a prevalence of HIV right. and things that make them more susceptible. susceptible yeah yeah um well and then on top of and, it it's like the the food right i mean even thinking about mm-hmm. you know we we have the not everybody in the world has the advantage of sticking their food in the refrigerator and having oh, a surplus of food for the next month or absolutely. two weeks and, or week. and even if and even if you know you have something that you need to wash with water right so you're many going people to don't the well. have access to clean water right or you're um, yeah you've got to like so there's yeah, there's there are just so many factors that put put these communities at risk, and beyond that, the social impact that's happening is criminal activity yeah. is mm. going to significantly increase, like looting. Um, sure. You know, but they they shut down public transportation and put all kinds of similar rules that we have here in America, but they're yeah. much easier for us to follow because we can stay at home, we can get our groceries delivered, right. we can whatever. Um, or we have a vehicle know, people, that we can drive to the grocery store. Right, exactly. And so most people don't have their own vehicle and most people, not most, but a, a very large amount of people live hand to mouth with what they're able, to, what money they're able to make that day. Yeah. Um, and so many of those are people that you know, drive public transportation or are conductors for taxis or who sell food at the markets and they can't do those things. And so they don't have money to feed themselves or their families. And so, you know, desperate times, they're going to have to resort to, to stealing or whatever it is. And so, um, that's, that's my big concern with, you know, my, my loved ones over there is just, I, I'm partly concerned that they would get sick, but I'm honestly more concerned. Yeah. Yeah, I'm more concerned about their safety, um, their physical safety, but hopefully, hopefully I'm wrong and it doesn't spread like wildfire and the world gets it under control and can fix it. Yeah. (laughs) We'll see. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I, I second that motion. Um, I'm ready to get back. To my life and to yeah. into things and <laughs> back to normal yeah. society and see friends. Yeah, I, I work from I work from home, you know, throughout the week, so it's not uncommon for me to kind of be at home most of the week. But yeah. it's even a lot for me. Um, just not. It's like the idea that you can't 
leave your house or you're not supposed to. Yeah. You know, it's like it uh, really weighs heavy on your mind. That's for sure. Yeah. So. Well, and a lot of us, a lot of Peace Corps volunteers have have joked, but in a serious manner, that service prepared us very well for self-isolation. Right. Um, you know, we we are certainly still getting stir crazy, but, you know, we, a lot of us were used to having a lot of free time on our hands mm. with much less amenities you know without netflix yeah. without a fridge or a microwave or <laughs> right. whatever like i was really fortunate um i had a house with electricity and nice running water yeah um so two things that are like the golden throne of of a house of you know a house yeah um, and they were both fairly regular um but they certainly went out a lot i yeah. actually I actually had my water shut off one time mid shower um, <laughs> and it was cold water. So nobody got too jealous. But, yeah, right. um, <laughs> yeah. My water shut off mid shower. I was covered head to toe in soap. Like my eyes were closed and had soap on my hands and my face. So meaning and I you just had stood there anybody for like that's... five minutes. Yeah. So I was like, I don't, I can't, I can't even like open my eyes because I have soap and everywhere and so I just stood there for a few minutes just trying to think of what to do and then luckily the water like started trickling out so I was like, okay uh, just enough like, get to get my it eyes off. first get my eyes yeah. <laughs> like the rest I can figure out I'll just you know towel the rest of the soap off but just get my eyes open right. and, and for, but, um, for you that yeah. are listening that maybe haven't ever had a you know an experience like this um maybe you can I'm sure yours was a little bit different than mine in Haiti but you know, you, you get in a, like you said, always cold water, which mm-hmm. is kind of refreshing sometimes, Yeah, but it's also cold water. It's still a shock to the body because yeah. it's not that. <laughs> so it's like jumping into a pool and you're like, ah, yep. and then you got to like turn the water off because you don't want to waste it necessarily. Yep. And then you like lather up and then you turn the water back on. And so, oh yeah, I'm, I made a whole shower playlist of songs that I can't help but dance to. So I would warm <laughs> up my body before the cold water. So I was like, okay, make the cold water feel good. I can dance it out first. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. It's a, it's a process. Your showers don't last as long, um, generally in those, uh, yeah. situations as they do maybe in the States sometimes when you get a nice yeah. hot shower and you're like, oh um yes so yeah funny. hot showers have been so nice since oh, i got back i bet what has been you know most people understand the concept of like culture shock but i think that people would be surprised at the reverse culture shock yeah reverse culture shock and and even just like um what that means and like kind of what that looks like or what that experience is like, because it's, it's, I don't know, at least for me, it was really hard to express and like give answers yeah. to, um, of like what I was feeling emotionally and, and whatnot. And I was Absolutely. only, I was only away for a couple months, you know, and you were away for almost a year. What are some yeah. of the things that you've been experiencing and, and what's that reverse culture shock been like for you in isolation quarantine? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's been overwhelming. Um, Honestly, I felt it the most when I came back from my trip with faraway friends, which was only three weeks. Um, But I, during that time, we stayed for the most, except for just a a few days in there, we were, you know, out in in one of the more rural towns. And so we were staying on the grounds of the school that, that faraway friends has built. And 
there was no running water. The kids would have to walk like, I can't remember how far it was, one to two kilometers, I think, to go fetch water in jerry cans and then carry it back. And water, jerry cans full of water are very heavy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Five gallons? Know, they're, they're, yes or they're no? Ten, they're 10 to 20 liters, okay. depending on which size you have. Um, I'll do that math and get back to you. Yeah, I, I'm I'm in the different <laughs> different uh, measurements now. But, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So it it when I came back from that trip, the biggest thing that got to me was I was washing my hands, and I I just almost broke down at the water coming out of the sink because mm. I was like I was like God, you know, washing my hands there is a very first off, very different experience. Somebody like pours water over your hands while you right. use the soap and, and rinse off your hands. But second, I was like, God, I'm literally, I just have to turn this little knob and I get this water and then I turn it off and I'm done and that's it. And I need more and it's there and I go back and get more. Yeah. And, you know, it just, I couldn't stop thinking about these kids and how far they had to walk just to get water. Right. And, and it wasn't even water to drink water for, literally every aspect of their lives right um like anything you need water for drinking washing your hands bathing anything and um that was one of the biggest things for me at that time um since being back from peace corps i think there's not really any one specific thing that has shocked me i think i think if there is it's probably going into a store like i've i've only Mm. been to walgreens and to a grocery store um near my house but you know walking in and just seeing all of the options and how many of each option there was and it just it was just overwhelming the stuff like the physical stuff that existed in one place was just overwhelming um and actually i do remember go ahead I was just gonna say, I do remember one specific thing that shocked me. My friend and I went to a drive-through. I think it was like raising canes or something. Nice. And we went to the drive-through and got to the second window, waited maybe thirty seconds, and she handed us our giant order because I was so excited about all the chicken. And um, <laughs> and she handed us our giant order, and I just stared at my friend for at least thirty seconds. And she was like, what? Why are you staring at me like that? And I said, how did they do that? I was like, how did they? I was like, I don't understand how we just got our food so quickly. Like, I just physically can't, I can't wrap my brain around this. Yeah. And so that was a lot. Yeah, totally. The one thing that, that uh, I really, that sticks out to me from my time that was like reverse culture shock for me. I remember like breaking down and crying about seeing um, people pull over for a ambulance, I believe it was. It mm. was the most like yeah. emotionally charged experience I had coming back. Was like, oh yeah. wow, like everybody just gets out of the way, like yeah. And it's I don't know. That was that was one of the big takeaways, one of my big like yeah. moments where I was like, oh wow, like so cool. Like it's yeah. it's something I still think about. Um, it's just a beautiful thing that we have the privilege of having is that like yeah for m- sure medical response immediate like someone someone's got her back if we need them you know yeah absolutely and i mean that's kind of similar to what i was going to say is it's not really a specific thing but just 
It's like things you're grateful being, for. Since yeah. well, it's the things I'm grateful for, and also since being back, I I've just felt that being here just feels wrong for me. Um, mm. Like in America, feels wrong, and not because of the amenities and the luxuries and all these things that I now truly appreciate, but just not being, where you're supposed to be. I, like yeah. I I just I I feel like I don't relate to the people here anymore Mm. Um, because I think, and I've kind of always, I've kind of always had that view of Americans to an extent of just like a lack of global awareness and like kind of self-centered and greedy. And I, and that's certainly not everybody. And I, I love so many people from America and uh, you know, I'm not at all trying to like hate on America. It's just a very different perspective lifestyle and perspective and and you know and when you're raised in in america in this world that it's completely understandable that that's that that's how you you see things but um you know coming back here i just i'll be sitting outside and i'll hear people talking on their balconies or on their phones and things that they like complain about and get so (laughs) genuinely angry about and so upset about and i'm just sitting there listening I'm like I just don't understand yeah. this life anymore, you know? Yeah. Like the like I just I can't and I don't want to get sucked back into mm. it. So I'm trying very hard to to remember how I've felt the last year and everything I've I've experienced um and yeah. not lose that because I think it's it's so easy to fall back into complacency and that has been my biggest fear since even before all this evacuation, I was terrified that when I finished my service I would come home and get comfortable and just become complacent again and yeah. find a job to pay the bills. And, you know, that would be that. Um, whereas during Peace Corps, I started to think about all the places I want to go to and, mm. you know, things that I want to learn and things I want to get experience in. And I was just desperate to not come back and lose that. Yeah. Um, Cause I mean, I've, I've always wanted to travel and do things, but it, it always just felt like a far off dream for a future me that I didn't know yet. And, you know, I felt like I actually started to get to know her while I was in Peace Corps. And, um, and I don't want to lose that connection to who I feel like I'm becoming and who I should become. Um, and it's really hard to do that coming back in, in this situation with the evacuation, because, you know, every, not just my, but everybody's options is, are going to be so limited after this with, the job market and the economy right. and all of that stuff. And so, you know, I'm just trying to remind myself like who I am is who I am. And I just like, as long as I stay true to that, it doesn't matter where I am, you know, but right. it's also, it's also, you're, you're very affected by your environment and the people around you. And so I will see how it goes, but <laughs> that's, yeah. that's probably my biggest like culture shock so far is just not being able to relate to the people around me yeah. anymore. Yeah. Mm, I, I feel for you. I really, I really do. And especially having to spend most of your time, you know, quarantined and by yourself. And and you you talked about that a little bit and I found that to be, uh, (laughs) there's a lot of similarities. I I feel, I feel a lot of, you know, I, I have felt there's a, like you mentioned when you were in the Peace Corps, when you were in Uganda, there's a lot of time to yourself. And, uh, mm-hmm. it can be, I had moments, you know, there were many moments in, when I was in Haiti that, you know, I was around English speakers as well, but there was moments when I felt very lonely where you couldn't talk, mm-hmm. you couldn't speak, you know, 
to people. And even when you did, it's, it is perspective. It is experience. You know, we, we come from different worlds. We come from different experiences in so many ways. And it's hard to like relate to people sometimes. And, you know, your conversations are maybe a little more shallow than you want them to be or whatever it is. And, um, you definitely find ways to kind of cope with that and to deal with that. And, uh, you know, without your distractions like you have in the United States, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, interesting experience. And I, I'm sure that you're going to have the process to go through, um, over the next several months and whatever, but I did have a quick, oh, sorry, go go for it. I, I was gonna say I myself have made it back home but my my dog is still stuck in Uganda yes I had so all these questions I'm, I'm still, writing uh, I've been writing down I was <laughs> yeah I wanted to follow up with about the dog I wanted to hear about the yeah dog. I uh yeah so she's still stuck in Uganda so I'm still on edge about that yeah what what did you do what what did you have to do is somebody watching uh, your dog so down or? so there's a vet in Kampala in the capital okay. um, that will board them and will take care of any like shots and tests and things they need before they can be sent to the States. And, nice. uh, they will actually like crate them, bring them to the airport and get them on the plane for you. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And it, it costs more money, but you know, we, sure. in our circumstance, we had to do that. We were hoping to get them on a flight with us when we left our service, but then our service ended a year early. So, um, yeah. So there were about 10 of us who had pets that we were trying to get home. And um, it it was already an obscenely high price to get the, them home. Yeah. Um, when I when I originally got into Peace Corps, I knew I have a dog here in America and I adore her. She's I've had her for eight years now. And um, I knew that going to Uganda, I was like, I can't not have a dog. Like I, <laughs> I know myself, I'm going to have to get a dog. And so I, you know, researched best. what it would take to get them home. And if that was even possible. And um, I was told it's very possible and volunteers do it all the time. And um, I was told it would be between like one, it should be around a thousand dollars, but maybe up to 2000. Yeah. Um, and Obviously, I would love to not spend that money, but I knew myself well enough to know yeah. I was going to get a dog. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so, yeah, so we I had planned on using my readjustment allowance uh, from Peace Corps after my service um, to get her home. But then service ended early and all of that. So we I ended up starting a fundraising page for her nice. uh, because it it was with all of the craziness and the, the vet having to board them and then yeah. take them to the airport for us. Um, it was about $3,000. Um, yeah, not, not a, not chump change. Yeah. And, uh, well, before so, you keep going, tell us how, how people can, you know, help if that's still up and running. Oh yeah, it is. Um, it's a GoFundMe page and it's called bring Bindi home. B I N D I like Bindi Irwin is her name. Nice. Um, yeah, so I think if you just search Bring Bindi Home, it's still up there. Um, and I I didn't want to create a fundraising page, so I did so much of that, like through Invisible Children and stuff. I felt like I'd kind <laughs> yeah. of maxed that out, you know? Yeah. But, um, you know, I was like, screw it. I'm really desperate. And, uh, you know, dogs are, dogs are not pets in Uganda. Um, right. They are either stray dogs or guard dogs. And 
they are not treated well. Um, people hit them, throw rocks at them, break their bones for fun, yeah. um, their skin and bones. And it's not to say that people there are not evil or anything like that. It's just, it's just the culture. It's just the way that dogs yeah. are like rats there, you know? Right. And, um, so I, and police will, will actually put out poison for dogs to control the stray dog population. Yeah. I've um, heard that. so, you know, I couldn't, I knew unless I could leave her with somebody who I fully trusted to keep her safe, yeah. uh, I couldn't leave her behind. And even people I know, who, like locals I know who had dogs, had had dogs poisoned by the police. Um, so, you know, even though they treated the dogs well, something still happened. So I was like, if I leave her with someone, it has to be someone I trust to guard the, her life, you know? Yeah. And um, so anyway, so I raised the $3,000, which was incredible. Um Nice. However, once we were in Entebbe waiting for our flight information, uh, it got to the point where only one airline was still able to fly the dogs, and that airline decided to double the price to get them home. So it was now about $6,000, and I don't have six thousand yeah. dollars, um, you know. And I was like, I literally had to fundraise to get the first amount and this yeah. is crazy and so um so eight i think eight of the other owners um decided to pay the rest of it to get the dogs home and then they're going to you know file some sort of something against the airline because it goes against the dot's guidelines of no price gouging right um so they're planning on getting at least that second half of the money back but one of my friends and I, who has my dog's sister, um, you know, we, we were like, I don't, I, first off, you're not guaranteed to get that money back. And second, I don't even have that money to front in the first place, even if I do get it back. Right. Um, so, so he and I are both keeping our dogs boarded there right now. Um, and just waiting for, for other airlines to open up because, yeah. you know, unless they decide to stop price gouging and give us the original price. But until then, uh, she's stuck there. So I'm just, I'm concerned that, you know, somebody might raid the vet for a guard dog or something like that, but it's, it's out of my control for now. So we were talking about trying to get Ellen involved, but you know, (laughs) Hey, Ellen, shout out to Ellen. (laughs) Hey Ellen, if you would like to get my dog home, help bring Bindi home, help bring Bindi home. (laughs) Come on, Ellen. You can do it. Yes. I don't know that I have that reach, Janie, but uh, <laughs> we can we can sure try. Yeah, right? Put it into the universe. Yeah, yeah. we'll we'll tag Ellen just to see if she can. Yeah. Know, she can she can hear your uh, cries. Oh um, yeah, we all fantasized about like Ellen bringing us on her show and then being like, "I know you couldn't get the dogs home, so we got them home for you." And yeah. Bringing the dogs out on stage, and just having this big messy pee-filled, tear-filled reunion. <laughs> From the dogs and the humans, like we would just be a whole mess. Yeah, but, for sure. Yeah. Well, Janie, as we kind of you know wrap things up, I've had you on the phone for quite some time now, and uh, <laughs> I really want to say, first off, thank you so much for taking of the time course. to thank you for having me. to talk about your experience and to kind of uh, bring us through what what what's next. I mean, it sounds like as of the Peace Corps, you fulfilled your obligations to their standard, um, and and they've you know, you've completed your contract. Mm-hmm. 
Is there yeah, so, any chance that you would go back? Is I mean, I know everything, everyone and everything is just this massive question mark, but yeah. <laughs> have you thought about what's next for you? Yes. Um, I, I don't have an answer yet, but I've thought about it. That's, cool. um, That's fine. So, so Peace Corps plans on reopening most of, if not all of the posts that they had um, once all of this calms down. Yeah. So for, for everyone who got evacuated, my understanding is that we would have to reapply if we okay. want to go back. Um, and I believe that they would, they would try, they've mentioned that they would expedite our applications, yeah. uh, but still no guarantee, you know, that you would be accepted and also no guarantee that you would get the same country, let alone the same organization yeah. uh, that you were with. So you would potentially be starting, starting over. Um, and it's probably I probably also I, just like a <laughs> lingo to keep you like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And I, I've heard mixed things um, just because all of this has progressed so rapidly and so many things have changed so yeah. quickly. Um, so I'm not sure if this is true or not, but I I heard occasionally that if if we returned, we would like what what we've done of our service so far would count towards our renewal of service um so we wouldn't necessarily have to do the the full two years from scratch um i don't know if that's true because they ended up um closing all of our services officially Mm -hmm. um i think that might have only been on the table when it was still like interrupted service yeah but um i'm not sure but so for me personally um i will definitely be back to uganda to visit and see people and places and, and everything. But, um, I don't plan on, on reapplying, um, just because it was such a grueling experience. And I did, you know, I grew in and changed in ways that I couldn't have here and Mm. it was an invaluable experience. And I'm sure were I to go back, I would continue to grow in that way. But I kind of feel like the growth that I did have equipped me, with the tools to continue to grow throughout my life, like to continue on the trajectory that I was, that I was going, um, if that makes any kind of sense. Um, so I think my plan now, um, they, there's a, I don't know if it's a bill or what it technically is, but, um, there it's going through, I think Congress this week, um, they're trying to get, basically trying to get returned Peace Corps volunteers hired um, for at places like FEMA and Amer- AmeriCorps and sure. um, CDC and places that are really involved with the COVID-19 response mm-hmm. um, because they were saying, A, you know, our, we kind of got screwed out of our situation. Like yeah. we don't qualify for unemployment and all this stuff. Um, oh, I didn't and, even think about that. Yeah. And B, um, you know, we, a lot of volunteers have a skill set that could be really useful during this. Um, even if it's just like the sensitivity of communication revolving around a disease or any kind of illness. Um, so if, if that passes, um, or if that goes through and they decide to, you know, expedite hiring for, RPCVs. Um, mm. I would probably apply for something like that, cool. at least for the meantime, to you know, kind of continue my service in a way yeah. Um, yeah. and do something that's that's useful right now. Um, and 
eventually though my goal is to start my own business um i i just have to figure out how to do it <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah well and i've i've had an instagram for it for like two or three years now but i i haven't been able to actually start to make it a business it's just yeah. an instagram page for now <laughs> not that i have any uh knowledge that will help you but if there's anything we can do here at crazy face center to help you you know kind of pursue that dream and kind of help you along Thank that you. process please let us know and um, yeah i will again if you're listening please go to the gofundme you can search bring bindi home that is b-i-n-d-i bindi bring bindi home uh help janie out help her get her her pup. Thank you. Um, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Thank you so much. I know, um, I don't know. I don't know what people's responses are to you when you come back, but thank you. Thank you for yeah. your service. Honestly, thank it's you been, for... uh, yeah, it's been a lot of thank you. Thank, thanking me for serving. And, yeah. um, it's kind of overwhelming cause it's, it's hard to, think about it from like how other people see you. You're just so wrapped up in like your experience totally and yeah. and how you're feeling about everything. So it's, it's weird, but it's very nice to hear, yeah. you know, to hear people appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate I, and I do, I really do appreciate it. I thank you for, you know, for serving. I, I think that's, I think it's really cool. I think it's amazing and you've been through a lot. So <laughs> don't forget to take some time for yourself and it's okay. Yeah. Uh, I want you Thank to you. know that it's okay to just sit and to breathe and to, uh, yeah, to just experience and to think about and to be sad and to be happy and to miss and uh, all of those things are okay. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I know that sometimes we we think that there's more to be done than what maybe there really is. And so I hope you know yeah. and I hope you can find peace in that and find... Uh, yeah, just comfort and knowing that whatever you're feeling and whatever feelings kind of come and go, it's okay. Thank you. Absolutely. Needed to hear that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Janie, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything you want to leave us with before we go? Oh, gosh. Um, well, thank you for having me, first off. And thank you to everyone who has listened to me talk for three hours. <laughs> um, Might yeah, be the record just... podcast, by the way. Oh, I'm honored. Um, my family will undoubtedly make fun of me for being on a podcast for three hours. But um, <laughs> but yeah, no, thanks just to everyone listening. Um, you know, if you're considering anything like Peace Corps um, or any kind of volunteer service abroad or domestically and have questions, uh, feel free to, to find me online. I'm happy to answer any questions and talk it out. Um, and yeah, and thank you in advance for just wanting to help people whatever way you do that awesome it matters <laughs> it does it does Janie yep. thank you again thank you so much for coming on the show uh, it's no been problem a real thank honor. you so much for having me and for all of you listening thank you thank you thank you thank you so much for listening to the crazy face uno podcast uh, we greatly appreciate it and we want to say thank you to you um, if you want to check out our website, crazyfaceuno.com, we are currently any sales of our mugs and any of the merchandise we have, along with donations, are going to the World Central Kitchen. Um, so please consider buying a mug or donating or just going straight to World Central Kitchen and, and donating there as well. We love you all. Thank you all for tuning in. Peace.